right, welcome Derek from Dublin. You're on, darling. Uh, oh, hi, I'm Derek. I'm alcoholic. Uh, I think I was muted there. Um, um, 20 years on this adventure and recovery in AA. Um, God, it's just I've been to a few story times and I appreciate it's an hour long, but I've never done one for an hour, so I'll waffle on and see how far I get. Um, so I suppose since I've a bit more time, born and bred in Dublin, uh, born in 1970, 6th of June, D Day. Uh, brought up in a fairly nice family, rough area of Dublin, I suppose you'd say at this stage of the game. Uh, so I so in your Americans would say I came from the wrong side of the tracks. Um, you know, growing up is my parents did okay for themselves, so I got sent to a good school, which, strangely enough, was very good for an educational thing. But uh, I don't have a native tongue or language accent of this area, so I talk rather well for Dublin, uh, which in itself, growing up in this area, was not a good thing to have. Uh, I was hospitalized twice, uh, get beaten up by different, like, you know, scallies. Um, and I suppose normally at this stage of the game is looking back, you know, went to school. Uh, my memories of school, I always remember the first three years was with the nuns, and to be honest, they were vicious. So by the time I actually went to uh, uh, my next school, which was the priests, I thought it was released from Max Penitentiary, uh, you know, sort of system of the nuns into a regular day release of the priests. Um, and yeah. Bimble True School, um, started drinking, you know, about 12 in Ireland. We start a bit younger over here. Um, and I know people in AA, you know, will say, oh, my God, I had a first drink and I was, yeah, I changed. No, that wasn't my career with drinking. And I suppose, realistically speaking, I became, a, you know, quite quickly a heavy drinker. But look, I did okay at school, managed to scrape into college off the arse of my pants, came out with a fairly decent degree, um, and, you know, I suppose two incidences when I was younger, you know what I mean, that may indicate in Houston we have a problem, but you don't see it at the time, was when I was about 17, I think my sister, God love her, bought a new car and she'd gone away on holiday, and I got a bright idea around summertime, around this time of the year, to, ah, I had a few pints. Probably I was drunk, basically, and uh, I don't know what happened, but uh, I just thought I'd take it for a little ride. Yeah, totally rode it off and um, got away with that because literally when I saw the car, um, I went up I went up the mountains and the car, Dublin Mountains, and people who know Dublin, it was around Blessington where I was, took a bend too quick, went straight off the road, but ah, car did all that roly roly and all that type of stuff, and magically I got out of this car unscathed. It's quite a funny story. This at the same time since I fucking since I've got time. Um, is so some alpha? Well, he probably in his forties, but to me he was an alpha. You know, it was a cottage there, and he just is he all right? You know, I heard the accident. I'm like, oh fuck's sake, I'm drunk. It's me sister's car. La 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 la. And he was great because he just said, son, come in, come in now. And sit down there. You're all right, John. He, he, obviously, I think he checked, you know. It was just, you all right? Like, as not anything broken? I didn't have a scratch on me. And anyway, <laughs> so anyway, 
I'm there going, I'm fucked. He's going to ring the police. And then so he rang me mad. I've been mad something like four o'clock in the morning, picks up the telephone. And she turns up and she's fucking, oh, Jesus. Now, my mom was a thing. Trust me, fiery Irish woman. Yeah, 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 that was my mom. And obviously she's fucking about to tear 10 types of shite out of me. And your mom says, look, you know, no, look, he's, he's grand, he's grand. And he literally took her over to show her the car. I mean, Mark came over and hugged me. <laughs> and driving home, on the way back, it was my ma suggested something. She said, son, the car got robbed. Uh, that man says he didn't see anything. If the police turn up, uh, he was asleep. And to this day, and I'm 52, my sister still does not know. She came home from holiday. Where's my car? I mean, ma, as quick as the light, you see. Jeez, I, I thought you'd taken the car with you. And, uh, to this day, my sister still doesn't know um, that basically I rode off her car. The insurance paid for it. Uh, but when I did see the car, because it was brought back in the trailer, trust me, guys, it was smashed to shit and the roof had totally collapsed. How I walked away without a scratch. So, I suppose on me at this stage, uh, next sort of thing that probably should have given me a warning was I finished up college and went to L.A. for the summer to um, work. Uh, and then I was going to come back and obviously try and find a job. And I was in an accident and ended up falling out of a third-story window. I was very, very drunk in L.A. And God love me. At the time, I didn't realize it. At the time, I woke up in UCLA hospital, all sort of in body armor type things. I didn't know what the fuck was fucked up. And my mates are there, and they're drunk as well. And, you know, long, funny story about how I got admitted because obviously UCLA wants to see my insurance, which I did have, but nobody knew where the fuck it was. So they admitted me. Uh, and people was, one of the things who, obviously, like alcohol, I'm just a pure alcoholic. I tried other drugs. I'm scared shitless of injections. It's a phobia, so I never went after the heroin or anything like that. And I always thought the other drugs just interfere with me drinking, so fuck them. Um, <laughs> that. Um, and people were basically, I was there all fucked up. And uh, so a few comments from people are the things that you're really lucky in. One thing I'll give you Americans, and I know it's probably going to be a sore topic, but you don't fuck about on pain treatment. So I was, trust me, my mind was saying, we're really in pain. And other parts of my mind was going, fuck it, I don't care. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, they didn't fuck about it. They gave me painkillers. And I had a special dingy thing that I kept dinging. Uh, <laughs> it was only later I found out, well, actually, it doesn't give you any more once you hit the limits. <laughs> um, but... Anyway, so that story that, you know, turns out, because there was carnage that night because they didn't want to admit me. And one of my friends who was drunk insisted that they get the head of EOR out. And eventually, after about three hours of trying to get me out of the hospital, this old guy turns up, well, old to me, with his glasses. And he just... Um, and he just asked me, can you walk? And I said, no, I can't. He said, admit him. I said, I know, Pop. And anyway, he was... So, but hey, obviously high and wide on fucking morphine. And uh, so eventually I said, so up popped the surgeon. Walked in. I always remember, dry sense of humor. And he just says, well, Mr. Flanagan, he said, um, you've broken your coccyx. 
tip, whatever. You shattered your pelvis. It's a hairline shack shatter, so it should fix. Don't knock against anything because it might actually shatter. This is you punctured a lung, but you didn't break a rib. I don't know how you did that. And uh, oh, and your elbows shattered in 15, 14, or 15 places. And I think a piece might be actually missing. I don't know how the fuck you did that. And he says, Well, I'm going to operate him tomorrow. And then he walked out. That was all I ever saw of this doctor. And I was to find out, and somebody said, Geez, you know, you're really lucky. And I said, How the fuck am I really lucky? I said, You know where you are. And I said, You're fucking, I'm in UCLA hospital. He says, Ah. Uh-huh. This is the teaching hospital. So basically, it's one of the leading bone surgery hospitals, apparently, I was told, in the world. And that was the head of the faculty, who does not operate anymore, except for interesting cases. And because my drunken, stroppy mate had been a right bastard to all the people at the thing and dragged the head of Eeyore out of bed, the head of Eeyore emailed this man. Because that man was meant to be on a plane to Mexico with his family. And he operated me on Monday and he caught a plane out on Tuesday. So, I God love him. He did a great job. Fully reconstructed. Uh, I've only lost a few degrees that way. And, uh, and so then I had to do a postgraduate for no better reason than I could get a job because I'd have serious operations in Ireland. And, uh, you know, so did all that shit. And eventually, look, you know, Wanted to go to London, wants to work in finance, you know, be a big trader and shit like that. I can't remember most of it. Now, I met a girl by this stage, and so I found a job in in London. Um, and, you know, you've probably heard of the company Bloomberg. I worked for them for the first part of my career, Americans on the line. And this girl followed me over to England. We settled down. We got married. And I suppose it's normally at my sort of drinking, I'd go back to it and say, look, I ultimately became, I fell into something, an economist by training, and is I just ended up working in a very technical area of financial markets and financial technology around something. Don't worry, I'm pretty comfortable. I'll say one word and all of these will go up, derivatives. Um, and I found out it was pretty handy at sales. So I just did that. And the handy thing about sales is you have an unlimited expense account. You travel the world. And you take your clients out and you get really, really pissed. So I like that. But hey, I was successful. And look, I suppose in my start of the journey is, you know what I mean, when I crossed over. Because look, I will look back and say, look, I had some great crack drinking. Some harem scare moments, you know, as I shared two of them. Uh, got a fucking tooth fucked up by somebody who attacked me in Canada. Uh, it wasn't my fight as well, I wouldn't mind, but I'm um, drunk. You know, so, and yeah, I used to do lots of blackouts, but I didn't know blackouts was something that, you know, actually, that's not a good thing. Uh, um, the best stage and I've had my first small run of that time I had a... she didn't work anymore so hey look you got too much stress in your life so that's what's probably triggering this uh, but ultimately he had to fuck off right to his face yeah I did he was a cop. 
Um, people would mind if she would call me a map. That's all the cover. Because, as I said, my drinking was slowly getting out of control, but you don't notice that time. I know my wife was commenting on it that I was drinking too much, but hey, fuck it up. I earn everything, I pay for everything, so, you know, I've got a high stress job, so stick it up your arse, love. Um, so, a weird thing happened to me. And what was it? I started to throw a weird symptom of something. And what was it? This is generally true. So I go out for now. I could have a few beers, like three or four beers, and get home. Right? I could also go on a fucking bender. Come out and black out. And genuinely, and I spent, hold on, I didn't drink enough to get a hangover. My, my ex was a nurse. And like, we're So, um, yeah, you should have. And so basically, I ended up then starting a weird journey with my doctor, who did loads of tests on me. I probably had medical at the time. And as I said, every time I go see the doctor, a new blood panel will be done. And you know what I mean, is that so? You know what I mean? Is that so? I actually thought that's how my fucking, if I'm going to get a hangover for three or four points, I might as well get pissed. So, uh, uh, might as well pay the price. Um, Eventually, it ends up, he's dazed and confused, trying to do his mini house moment. And I said, look, dude, I've got private medical, so for fuck's sake, just give me the letter to go see the specialist. What do you think it is? Well, it's either your liver or your kidney. So eventually, I ended up seeing a top liver specialist in near me, where I live. Again, it's another part where I always remember something. Because basically, ultimately, my liver was in distress. Okay, and he did actually tell me, look, because the funny part is I would go see this guy, and at the time, well, I'm 31, 30, 31, uh, this guy would have been in his mid to late 40s, um, and he, um, the first 15 minutes of the meeting we had, he was just reading all my fucking notes, and then he asked me a few questions, and I answered them, I can't even remember what they are, and then he says, yeah, I know what's wrong. And then he started asking, do you drink a lot? And you know that bollocks we go, uh, 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 And he says, no, do you drink a lot? And I went, yeah, probably. He says, well, look, um, the issue you've got is that, again, doctors and them saying I'm lucky, is you're quite lucky that you're sitting in front of me because your weird symptom indicates that I've only got one more test to do with you and I'll never see you again because it's just going to confirm my diagnosis here that basically you're already starting to have the amount of drinking you're doing, you're already having um, trouble with your liver. So you got to stop drinking some. Uh, and I was like, you're left with that bombshell for a bit. And then you're doing a bit of bartering with the doctor. And I, I always do remember this. I'm, I don't usually have this type of memory, but I do remember him and I do remember this conversation because he says, look, your liver's under a bit of stress, so you have to go on a low-carb diet and stop drinking and you'll be grand. And he says, look, you're very lucky because normally I meet somebody like you 
with your reading here for what I know is wrong with you is like say 2,000. I see people with 20, 30, 40,000 in the mega fall. So you got lucky. Um, I'm just sitting there. And he says that uh, he obviously probably had this conversation a few times as a professional. He says, I know what you're thinking. He, I'm literally going, what? He says, well, you're thinking, well, if I sort out my diet, yeah, is and keep drinking or reduce me drinking, you know, I'll be grand. He says, look, this is what's going to happen to you now, my man. From the point where you are now, you're going to develop high blood pressure. From that, he gave me another nasty thing I was going to develop, and then eventually cirrhosis. And he says, where you're at now, he says, that's about six to eight years away with your current diet and lifestyle. And I went, oh, fuck. And then he says, you're thinking if I just reduce the drink and have a super clean diet? Yeah. And he says, mate, I'll see you in 12 years. And all this type of stuff. He was like he had a sixth sense. <laughs> he probably had this conversation loads of times. And so anyway, um, and something really super surreal happened in that conversation. He then started talking about himself. Because then he started to tell me about, well, let me explain how we give out livers in the UK. Obviously, they're, they're, they're not, they're, you know, they're rare in the sense, so we've got a panel, we've got a thing, blah, 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 blah. And right now, last year, I got made the top consultant in this region. So I chair the ethics panel on where we have to make horrible decisions in relation to who gets a liver. And he didn't really say anything after that, because no matter, he's medically trained, so he can't be so blunt. But I was smart enough at the time, something to dawn on me. And I just said to the doctor, I said, doctor, give me a hypothetical situation. He says, yeah, go ahead. He says, um, if a man was to present with a fully curable version of something, and he was to turn up in eight to ten years' time, looking for a liver, Given that you've graphically explained to me some of the cases that you've had to adjudicate on kids, things, blah, 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 is I'd say the chances of that man getting a liver will be fuck all. And he turned around and he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, you'd be dead right. And he says, I'm going to be here till I'm 65, so I'm at the top of my game. Now, this triggered, I suppose, the most interesting phase of my story in a way. Because, see, in a strange way, I'm very good with doctors. Because I'm an idiot when it comes to medical stuff. Doctor says, stop eating this, do that, take that pill for a bit, you'll be grabbed. I will do it. No questions asked. And then started the next phase of this little journey where, obviously, it becomes apparent, I've got to stop drinking, and I can't. Now, everything else in my life, I set my mind to, I achieved. What? House, car, job, money, la, 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 la. And yet, here I am. I keep doing what I hear a million times. Uh, I've given up. I was a PhD at giving up. And I couldn't. Okay? And it all came to how I ended up coming to AA, ultimately, was. Because, look, one of the bullshit of, like, I've got a high-pressure job, I've got to entertain clients. All bullshit, right? So I remember having my wife, my ex, was which say, before a wife then, I cooked a nice dinner for me. I got home late because I was having a few pints, a bit pissed. And I don't think, well, all I know, I'll just say this. Married men know they're in trouble when their wife is just really calm. 
and she's talking, you're really fucked then. It's not, if she's screaming at you, it's all right, okay. But if she's really calm and looking you in the eyes, you're fucked. And I always remember it. She just turned around and said, Derek, I'm not going to sit around and watch you die. And that struck me. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's the helpline number for AA. And you got to call AA. you got to sort this shit out. And I did. I said, little lady on there, I don't know, she's old, but sounded old to me. Oh, and she gave me a meeting. Right? And I went to my first meeting of AA. Now, <laughs> funny part with that, I was so shit scared going through the door. I had a few pints beforehand. Caught a taxi down there. And obviously, I didn't know at the time it was a church. So I'm stopped off as pubs in this area. It was around Clerkenwell Way. And this lad having a cup of tea outside. Because by this stage, I have the fear and the paranoia. And yeah, my head's a washing machine about this whole thing. Um, and, you know, this lad out there, and he just turned around to me, and he's having his cup of tea, and he's just, I'm sort of there vaguely around the church, ground, fuck, where, little, you know, oh, are you here for the meet? Straight away, I'm thinking, how the fuck did that little old lady know who I was? Did she call this lad yaddy yaddy? So I went to the meeting. I don't to this day remember much about that meeting um, because it was a big meeting, but I suppose I got over the sticker shock or something. And what was that? The classic moment where you think, well, I'm going to go in here and there's going to be guys in Max and throwing cans of Spanish to brood each other and fighting and shit like that. And it was all just really nice, clean, normal people having a laugh and then whatever. And then there was this brilliant thing at the thing that I see, I've always liked this. And at the meeting after the meeting, they said, Oh, would you like to come to, would you like to come for a drink? And it was a little coffee shop. And I thought, great, this is great. Go to go drinking with them. And, uh, and what struck me in that meeting after the meeting, what I couldn't get my head around, cause I'm dazed and confused. And I don't really know what's going on. Full of fear and paranoia. I had people having coffees, and sharing about, I come from a culture at the end of the day, was people who have this idea that we're all happy, clappy, and really nice people. There's quite a dark side to us Irish. And what is it? You don't tell anybody anything, any of your secrets. Fuck that. And here's these people sharing about, for want of a better word, some horrible shit. Yeah? And they were laughing about it. And, oh, yeah, I did this. And da, 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 you know, I eventually went home. And look. At that stage, I looked so I got AA, but I had a beautiful little setup. And what was the beautiful little setup? You know, my, we had a young family at this time. I lived about an hour away from the city of London. And, you know, my wife usually went to bed. God love her, and nine, half nine. So, brilliant thing with AA. It was like, oh, I'm going to a meeting. I didn't go to a meeting. I went and picked up piss. But, because I'm Irish Catholic, you have the guilt thing. I went to one meeting a week. Yeah. And uh, classic one, running in the back room. In the back, sit down, bang, fuck off, promptly. And I don't remember. But I do now see in life, I, one of my talents in life, I do listen. So fast forward about three or four months of this silliness, for want of a better word. My wife's gone away for a week with the kids. I'm going to be joining her later. And I went off and got pissed, something rotten. And uh, so I woke up late, bed around 10 o'clock. And I always remember the... the um, Sun was shining, it had been rain and the sun was shining through the window, and there was all that dazzly stuff. No, it's not an epiphany. Was just, I just woke up and I knew I was fucked. And rang up the AA helpline. 
again, there was another woman on it, and I just think, geez, they have a line and little old ladies here, whatever. And I thought, oh, I'm fucked, blah, 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 blah. Where's the nearest meeting? I have to get into the city and blah, blah, blah. Oh, there's a meeting at one o'clock here. Grand. Shower, shit, shave, bang, straight to the meeting. And uh, I do remember that meeting. Because I don't remember the chair or any of the thing, but what I did do is basically, you know, the person was sharing, they did a bit, meetings open, and all I just said, Derek, I'm alcoholic, and I'm fucked, and I started crying. That was the full scope of what happened there, but obviously then the magic happens. Why? Because people after the meeting came to me and started to talk to me, and I was suggesting. Why? Because I just knew I was fucked. I knew nothing more than that I was fucked. Didn't have any answers, I was fucked. And, you know, that was May 19, 20 years ago, this year. And from that, I just, you know, I just was open to listen to the suggestions. And from that, you go to enough meetings, or why don't you go to do 90 meetings in 90 days? Why would you do that? Well, you spend a lot of time drinking and doing all that shit, so why not? I went, yeah, good point. So I embarked in 1990, did loads of different meetings, and you start to hear lots of different things in the room. Uh, being Irish Catholic, I've obviously got a complex relationship with God. I, he's a bollocks. Um, and the only relationship I would have said I'd had with him is, shit hits the fan, dial SOS God, bail me out. And so from there... It was just a series. I, I can look back and say, I probably on one level I got lucky because, you know, somebody told me about the concept of a home group. Oh, okay, so a meeting that you, you just go to regularly. Somebody then says, well, there's this thing called a service position. What's that? So that meeting, I took the T-boy role. Uh, and then people are going on about these highfalutin things like steps, and the program, and the big book. Somebody gave me the big book. I read the big book. And, Obviously, got a lot of identification with the book. You know, I mean, fuck me. It's, it's like what I think. Um, and then that slow process is the great thing as well, is that it took me a while, strange enough. Naturally, I'd be quite outgoing and competent. But by that stage, I was full of fear and paranoia. I didn't know what was going on. So I was scared of my own shadow. And you have that thing of saying, well, I can't ask that question because it's stupid or something like that. And somebody obviously, you know, another friend, no, there's no stupid questions. Okay, so I asked what people would now would look at probably blindly obvious questions, but to me, they weren't. You know? Uh, somebody explained to me that, you know, some scientific method that, look, at the end of the day, is, you know, normal drinkers can have a pint or two and an anti-acid thing builds up on them and the tails are off and then they stop. Whereas with us, that just goes up and up and up, and we're off and away. Uh, okay, yeah, because that would be my experience. I never went for one drink in my fucking life. You know, there are people out there who went for half a drink. Good luck to them. Um, and I was a binge drinker, so it wasn't necessarily that thing of, oh, drinking every day, but I drank, I drank. But it was more of a mental process as we're fucked, because I had my first run in with depression. It was true heavy drinking. Um, and so eventually, you know, you know, I always remember them reading the promises and they, fuck me, that sounds great. I want all that. And, you know, Jesus, how'd you get those promises? And some said, like, you do the steps. What's the steps? 
it's the actual program of recovery. You know, you've been to a few meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really get what they're talking about. Well, okay, so you do the steps and, you know what I mean, you clean up a lot of shit and it helps. And, you know, if you keep working on it on a daily basis, you start to get the promises. This is a great thing in the fellowship, which I got, is in our early days, we've got to be selfish to make it. As a lot of people said, you've got to be selfish to make it. So, yeah, you want them. And that's that's all I did the steps for. I said, fuck it, I want those promises. Um, still a bit of a hot mess. And fast forward then, asked a man to sponsor me, because, again, it was suggested to me by others that I should ask. Very good piece of advice that was given to me, which I always give to everybody, is, you know, you've gone to enough meetings, there's a couple of people, maybe you like the cut of their jib or whatever, you're connecting with them, so that would be the obvious person to ask. And if they've been through the steps, you know, blah, 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 they should be willing to sponsor you. But if the person is busy, people have been known to go out because, oh, well, they would said no, so I'm going off drinking again, have some reserves. So I had three people in my mind, and the first man I asked said yes. Uh, look, I'd love to say then it's say when it comes to doing the steps is yeah, look, by that stage, you know, I'd cleaned up a lot, I'd had a pink cloud, but more importantly, my ego was back. So I wanted to do these steps because I was on a mission. And obviously my sponsor at the time, I, I, I I've always had a appreciation for it and I, I don't know whether it's true, but to me it's always been true. This man, the reason I picked I went to enough meetings to work out something to my to myself. The guys who have had some recovery and gone back out and blown it all up and come back and got another patch of good recovery. I always thought they had a stronger message. So I said, oh, that's the crew I'm picking from. And my, my sponsor had been in for eight years, blew it all up in a three year binge and he was back five years now. So great. And then look, I wanted to do the steps straight away. And obviously he's a bit smarter. And that led to uh, me firing him a few times in a way. Never said I fired him, I just stopped calling him. And then eventually I'd ring him again. Yeah, I've been an arsehole, blah, 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 blah. And eventually, you know, it was really simple. He just, he's one of those sponsors that said, I just want you to do two simple things at the moment. Write a gratitude list in the evening. And in the morning, I'm at work and stuff, but these times I'm available, call me. For three months, could I do that on a regular basis? Could I fuck? eventually dawned on me when I did it 30 days in a row. He says, right, you're ready to do the steps. And look, uh, again, my sponsor was on my step four. I had a burning resentment against the man. <laughs> uh, we did it. You know, I can only share my experience, strength and hope now. We did it. It obviously took a long time. Strange enough, in step one, two, and three. And then once we got to step four, I was done and dusted in 48 hours. I personally don't get all this bullshit that goes around, write a story, but it's my experience. I'm not against it. Oh, stay in your step four for like 10 years. Fuck that. Let's get this shit done. Because what did I learn in that part of the process? Step four always reminds me. Really simple, ultimately. Whilst I had all these resentments and I could say, yep, Tony's a cunt, a mum, blah, 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 blah. The magical part was when we got to the second part of that process. What was my part in it? Oh, did I struggle? Well, when I got it, yeah. So for the first time in my life, I actually saw my part in it. Because it was always everybody else's fault. And then, like, I suppose the next part with the, 
you know, the steps and then steps. There's a step nine, one step nine, actually. Well, two step nines. The funny one was my mum and my dad. Because I had to do it with my mum three times. And my dad had to take me to one side. Son, it's great. I know what you're up to, but your mum's never going to get this. <laughs> and I swear to God, she's dead a few years now. But she still asked me, yeah, can you not drink now? All that type of stuff. Never had a resentment. It's just one of those things. She loved me and she just couldn't get her head around that her son was an alcoholic. And I used to just say, no, ma'am, I can't. That's all right. You still go to those meetings? You have to go to those meetings. Yeah, but I still go to those meetings. You know? <laughs> but the big one I had to do at the time was, because I've got four kids. I'm working in this job. I backed a bit of the maggot, not massively. Some expenses, fiddly and stuff like that. But my CEO was on it. And... I always remember my sponsor because I was really going, oh, I'm scared of that one. Because then, what are you talking about? If I go to this man and say, look, do my amends, part of the process that I would do or my sponsor had, and if you ask me any questions, ask them honestly. Uh, well, he's got every right to just turn around and say, you're fired, so. And this is where something really shifted in me. Because my view of the world was a set way. When this man, Willem, turned around, did he thank me? And he was beautiful about it. If you need any time off work, thing, hey, did you're one of my best guys, just get back in the job and if I can help you in any way. I walked out of that meeting and the whole axis of my world changed. Why? Because, look, I'm a product of two beings. My father was a very spiritual man, artistic and stuff like that. My mother was a... She looked at her beautiful. She came from the wrong side of the tracks. My father came from a relatively rich family. And she had all the drive and the business sense and all this type of stuff. But she also had a very warped sense of the world which I picked up from She didn't mean to do it. I don't have any resentment against my mum for it, but everybody's out to get you type thing. And I just thought, fuck, the world is much different than the one I thought. And finished all that all up, went off and, you know, straight away, straight away sponsored, well, that's good, let's go up and start sponsoring people. Well, I'm not ready for that. And after a while, after sponsoring a few people, my sponsor turned around and said, mate, I'm not your sponsor anymore. Went, what? You know what I mean? And he says, look, dude, it says nowhere in the big book you need a sponsor for the rest of your life. I've passed it on. You're up and running. And you're off. Wait, now you can call me any time there's any issues. And if you're having some tricky sponsees and a few fucking more about steps and blah, 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 blah. And then, look, I'd love to turn around and say everything went great from that point. But then, again, well, I suppose the next eight years of my recovery. And that's when the demons came mental health two crippling depressions and I can look back now and things because like a couple of things I picked up in the early days many a meeting has saved me I've come in and I'm just fucking dumped in the rooms the same shit why because I'm not well but I didn't know it then um, people and I can look back now and some people the kindness that there stuff you're sharing about them, you need external help. You know, 
I read that as you trying to tell me that I can't share about what I need because I can get it. Because I understand the horror of one thing is when you don't really know when you get a mental health issue, in this case depression, it's very scary. I never had suicidal thoughts before. I got suicidal ideation. I've got a young family. What the fuck? So anyway, you know, and no much, no much working the steps harder or some God love them. I suppose what you'd say the God botherers or you know what I mean of AA. And look, I've got a very nuanced view, and I appreciate this a lot of people. Look, there's a lot of people come to the classic AA. They clean up, and look, the steps work, and that's as far as they go on the journey, and that's all the message they can send to other people. Well, and sadly, some of them are locked in this whole thing. You must believe in God, or all that bollocks. Because that's their experience. And good luck to them. Right? Uh, you've also got what I call the prosperity gospel types that think, well, I got all this stuff, start getting loads of stuff back. And some of them do really well and they never book. To me, in this adventure called AA, that's where they stay. They have nothing from me because they don't have my experiences. And my experience is something that I know the program works. Something really simple. Because I appreciate there's probably some people on this phone, on this call, who've been to the super dark place. What? Yeah, or suicide's a good idea. It's a fucking good idea. If you hate yourself so much. You know, but we survive it. You know, and we go through hell again. But we don't drink. There's an earlier version of me, whether I was happy, sad, did it drink. But I'd really pick something up in my early days. To drink is to die. And I could never do it to my kids. Personally, if I had no kids and no wife and blah, 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 I probably would have killed myself. But I couldn't do it to them. I remember a psychiatrist turned around and said, mate, that's great. You probably will never commit suicide. Because you've got that image in your head. Of your kids fucked up and ruined and everything fucked up for the rest of their lives. And sadly... Clean up, go back, you know, uh, it comes again. Now, this time, looking back, I ultimately, I'd sort of been following what the doctors been saying, we'll get a less stressful job, do it, la, 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 la. And I sort of followed what they did. But it came back again. I tried counseling, I didn't connect with it. Um, but again, it was, I'd given up. I couldn't commit suicide. I couldn't work. And I didn't want to live. And, you know, that dragged on for a two-year period. Eventually, my wife said she had enough and she fucked me out. Summer Olympics 2012. Yeah. Sounds quite horrible, doesn't it? So I end up back in Ireland, my mother's back bedroom. Man. Nope. One of my brothers came down. No, nope. you're going to the doctor. You're not sitting there doing fuck all. I went to the doctor. Because the interesting part for me with my journey with mental illness, you know, we read a lot about this shit. And I just turned around to the doctors in England and said, I think I might be bipolar. Oh, no, no, your depression. God love the Irish medical profession. Saw the first doctor, did my usual. It was a two hour session with this doctor. Run me through it. Bye. 
And she went, I always remember she turned around, oh, yeah, you're bipolar. <laughs> Straight away. Oh, and all those meds and the treatment plan you've had, bollocks. So, look, right now, I'm doing something a bit naughty. I'm going to prescribe you that straight away. I'm going to talk to the big... You have to see a psychiatrist properly for this, but he's my mate. And yada, yada, yada. And look, I'm still in the depths of a profession. See, the other side of the coin is most people in the depths of a profession don't commit suicide because you don't do anything. Nothing. You just lie in bed. You're a vegetable. The dangerous part with it is, is, is that when you're... As I said, it got described to me later in the counselling process, which I embarked on. Your life's like a chessboard, black and white squares. And, you know, you get a bit negative, more black squares, happier, more white squares. Because it's equally as dangerous to have all white squares as it is all black squares, especially with bipolar. And, um, see, I'm an appreciation for something. That the moment that you potentially will do it, is when the last white square is flicking off. Because when you're all black, you're a vegetable. You have memories of what you were like before. And it's like, to use an analogy, it's like that classic World War II thing. You've run out of bullets, you've only got the hand grenade, and all the demons are piling in. Fucking pull the pin. And then you pass through that into the full-blown depression. Then you're dead to the world. My experience with it. So, started a treatment protocol, found a magic drug. Got well again. Went back to England. But in that part of the process, it was a magical thing that happened to me as well. And it's in relation to step three, classic step three. You'll hear a lot, any people who've been to classic meetings, they hear a big thing at the time. Oh, turn it over. Or No, more importantly, they say hand it over. Silly concepts, turn it over. Um, but... You know, I'm look. I was a past master at oh yeah, start my day, say a few prayers, turn it over, but then quickly take back control. So I went all in on step three. Yeah, I don't make plans. I'm going to remember. Uh, you know, because my journey in AA has been more about something. And it will always be around the steps, because my experience is the steps is like doing a college course. Yeah. It looks insurmountable and you slowly get through it. And a bit like for you, some of you people have been in college and ended up, I was an economist by trade, and, and I actually went to be an economist for the first four years of my career. But the interesting thing, when you go to a work-life thing, you just find out that, fuck it, I only use 10% of what the fuck I learned in college. And that's my experience today with AA, with the steps. I only probably use about 10 or 15% of what they say it's the steps. It's all been about pairing away and accepting what works for me. And I know God love, you know, the classic, you know, come in, fix my life, steps, and that works for me. And they never grow anymore. That's where they are in their journey, their adventure. So they have nothing to nothing to share with me in one level. I don't row with them. Why? Because restraint dependent on. Right? Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Opinions like our souls. Everyone's got them. But what I accept is that, hey, they're those types of members. It all worked for them as per the thing. And now they've got a bit God bothering. 
God loved them, you know, but doesn't do anything for me. And I don't really listen to them. Um, yeah, it's why, because they haven't been on my journey, they haven't had my experiences. Now I've seen guys in AA, oh, you can't take any mind-altering substances. Fuck off. Why? Because you're not a fucking doctor. I've seen people commit suicide off the back of that bullshit. Yep. And God love them. Another thing I've learned, slow learner, I can't control other people, places, and things. And yet, sadly, I think certain factions, tribes, whatever you want to call them, they want to control other people, places, and things. And I've, I watch them and observe them, and an awful lot of them aren't really that happy. And I, I never even ask them the question, dude, do you have the promises or what? Because they don't seem to be that happy. Because, and as I slowly learned through the, you know, the therapeutic process, some of my inner demons, the external validation, fuck that. I am me. What? You know? Because normally I can turn around and say, I'm just an interesting type of character, is that for no better reason than I worked with a load, in the industry I worked in high-end financial technology, I worked with loads of rocket scientists and super bright guys. They're super cool guys. But I never thought I was that intelligent. They said, Derek, you're quite bright. And I just went, but all that math, it's not about maths. So, so I went off and did some IQ tests, just because i never done it. So I score apparently 140 to 160, because I've done a number of tests over the years to see if my bipolar condition fiddles with my um, IQ. And I apparently is a genius. But if you look at the wreckage of my life, <laughs> wow, some genius that did for me. You know, and I don't know who's gonna who makes it, who doesn't make it. I really don't. Uh, I say a few prayers in the morning. Thanks be to God for if you get rid of smartphones. Why? I turn it over, and the way my life is these days is I look at it the following way. My life is a Tesla car. Go with me on this. The car turns up in the morning. And it's got pre-programmed shit. And off I do, do my day. I don't have lists. I don't operate that way. Lists are tyranny to me. Is that I work off a place of intuition. Problems come up, I don't know what to do. Say the serenity prayer a lot. Park it. Most of those problems fuck off and never come back. And you know something my experience is when it does come back, is you sort of know what to do with it. Now, is that God? Is that me? Is that thing? I don't know. I really don't know if a God exists. But I have faith in this program. And why can I say that with such categorically assurance? Trust me, the darker I've been to darker places in recovery than I ever was at their dream. I have been to hell twice. And last year I went to hell temporarily again because I had a sleep disorder temporarily brought on by an eye infection. And I always like to say, you know, my life, I've had many lives, careers, etc. Why? Because everything changes all the time. So last year, about a year ago, I get dumped by text by my then partner of the for five and a half years, and we have a plan to move to Sicily. It's all gone. Gone. By text. Don't need to go into the detail. 
it was horrible. And, you know, I needed help. I sent up a flare, in a sense, to some of my old friends, one of my older friends. I hadn't seen him in years. Oh, fuck it, Derek. Just come to my place in Wales. Beautiful spot. I just spent the next four months with an old friend and his wife and his kid in a beautiful spot in the neck of the woods and went to Panty Bay, I mean. Because all the day when I'm disturbed, I do believe something. All the stuff, my disturbance, are of spiritual nature. There you go. So I got back into the program massive, did lots of stuff on that. And now I'm back in Ireland. Right back where it all started. And trust me, guys and girls, when I was young, dumb, and full of calm and wanting to make loads of money and do all that shit, I was desperate to get out of this shithole place I lived. If I could turn on my camera, I could show you where I was born. Okay? It's because T.S. Eliot had a thing I'll butcher it. Now you never cease from exploring. You know what I mean? Because when you come home, you see it for the first time back in December. I had no plans to be working in Ireland. I don't have a job yet, which is fine. But I've got all this I've got all the promises. I'm a happy camper. You know? And you know in the meetings I appreciate but you know and again it works if you work it. Whether you have a problem with classical air or you found this, but there is a program of recovery. That's my experience. It worked for me. Because I still, like, I still struggle with the whole thing within secular AI. It's not nothing against you guys. I love it. I'm an active member in Tusanu and I host meetings. I love the free spiritness of it. Is the whole concept I'm doing it all myself because I'm a great believer is once my higher power is not me, it can be nature, it can be that table, it can be God, it can be whatever. That's how it works for me. Because where did all my fucking self-will and high IQ and brilliant thinking get me? Got me to some fucking super dark places. Um, Meeting makers make it. I'm here 20 years. Isn't it funny I see a lot of the same people? Yeah? Take up a service position. You don't have to be good at it. We don't give a shit. We don't shoot or wound it. Why? Because you got a home group and it keeps you attached. So that funny story like, that I told you, I got a deep depression. I had to be locked up in the psych ward for a week. At the time, I did telephone service. But we had a system in the UK that would go through some remote control. So here's me, a suicidally depressed man, locked up on a ward. My phone rings. One o'clock in the morning. It's an alcoholic in trouble. And I was able to help him. Fuck me. Even though I'm fucked. You know? I help people and sponsor people because it helps me. Yeah, it does. Because it gets me out of my own bullshit. You know, we're not that fucking important. We really aren't. You know, you know the scientific heads here, at the end of the day, apparently there's as many suns in the fucking universe as there is fucking grains of sand in all the beaches in all the world. Get your head around that. This thing is billions of years old. We're only here for a very short time. And today, I'm genuinely as happy as a clam. And I was very happy to jump in and offer service for Megan. And she would oh, 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 whatever. Because what? That's what it's all about. And we're only as sick as our secrets. So I don't give a shit who knows I'm alcoholic. And I don't give a shit who knows I'm bipolar. 
fuck them. Because that's their life. You know, and I don't really give a shit what other people think of me because, well, I'm pretty much happy that I haven't been a comp today. I haven't caused any of this restraint dependent thought. Principles before personality. You know, and they're all just little mantras. That's how I operate. They're that simple. You know, and let them away. You know, trust me. Half the people in rooms are clinically and fucking sane. I've got that from the top person in the NHS. We managed to do some studies. But the scary part of this, guys and girls, studies they did, is 10 people at a meeting. That means five of them would qualify as some comorbid mental health that would need treatment as prescribed by a doctor. Only two of those five is getting treatment. So maybe think about that when you go off the handle when somebody says something really weird to you. Maybe that's one of them. Yeah, they're in a bad place. Whatever you shared, and somehow they got triggered. Why? Because I don't go around the place trying to hurt people or do nasty shit, because I try to be kind. And if I step over a line at times, it's all a mistake, and I promptly apologize. But if the issue is theirs and they've got triggered, I say nothing. Why? Because that's their issue. Sad but true. Because going back to what I said, I still struggle with something in the rooms. Slow growth of something. What? We have to be watch what we say in a meeting. A meeting can be anything it wants to be, and meetings have saved my arse. Coming in. There I'll tell you this much, guys, there's nothing more magical than something. What is it? You're pouring your heart out about some bullshit in your life. It's really serious to you and you're fucked up. And the room starts laughing. You hate them for a little while, but then you come on to yourself. And, you know, so the meeting I run, share about anything you fucking want. Once you're not being a constant, you know, no sort of attacking people. Why? Because who knows? With controlled speech or whatever, Fuck that, this is AA, this is a safe space, you can come to this space and say anything that's on your mind because better out than in. And for a man who's had to go on several journeys and in several lives, I've got all the promises today. And I'll finish with something. Two years ago, three years ago, my beautiful son write me. Because I told all my kids about my problems. Because the genetic component of this, because alcoholism and depression have fuck runs through my mother's side of the family when they were 16 or 17. And he was going to kill himself. I always get emotional about this. It was snowing. I talked to him. I would have jumped in a taxi from central London to Southampton. That it. I won't do it. I got straight out. You know, we talked. I took him home. He's not recovered from that yet. I've had to let him go on that journey. I haven't talked to him in two years. Let me fall now. But I understand what it is to figure out your own things with your mental health. And having pressure from me or somebody saying, oh, you okay, how's it go? Put pressure on And I hope and I pray every day, but he's safe. I just think about something. 
just think, go with it. This program stopped me drinking. It gave me a fighting chance to take on the bigger beast. And what was that? Bipolar. So if I hadn't come to the rooms, I wouldn't be here. He'd be dead. And that, everyone, is one of the very few things I'm proud of that I didn't commit suicide whilst in the my still still lives and this shit works if you fucking work it but you can arse about blah 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 just get on and fucking do it because whatever your trials and tribulations you're going to tell me about I've been there I've got the experiences of it and I still go to regular air I still go to Tusanua and take up service positions. Why? I'm a selfish company. I do it for me. That's it. Thanks.